0: Hi guys welcome to the boat I'm Quinn I'm Wally and i'm grant and today we are or we are a podcaster we uh do a tournament style bracket of our favorite movies of all time plus some extras um to figure out which movie is the boat the best of all time on today's podcast we are going to be discussing the uh two towers versus the oh wait somebody else is on the zoom hold on um uh Hello?
1: Here comes a new challenger!
0: Oh, oh, oh no, um, I guess, I guess we have a a change up in format today. We are not talking about the Two Towers, we are talking about two movies that I'm going to throw to our special guest to, uh, inform us about.
2: Hi, I'm Ryan. Why couldn't you put the bunny in the box?
3: (laughs) Oh, shit. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to talk about these movies today. So what are the movies? All right, so we're going to be talking about Con Air, arguably the greatest movie of all time, and <laughs> definitely a, bug. and another movie that is
0: arguably the
3: greatest movie of all time is Girl Friday.
0: So you come in, you you totally disrupt our format, and then you don't even <laughs> no, what the fuck is that? <laughs> all, you don't even say best of all time, and you say greatest of all time. Like we, we need to we need some brand loyalty, Ryan. I'm come I'm, on. So, I'm so
3: I'm, I'm really sorry. Best of all time, I. Ooh.
1: Are we gonna Another bash? time
3: zone? I'm um, I'm I'm nervous. I'm just I'm just such a huge fan of you three. I just I'm it, you know meeting your heroes is it's um This is why we don't let
0: fans on the podcast.
1: <laughs> Are we gonna bash the individual we invited for screwing with our format? Is that the way this is oh, gonna go down right now? It's just that when you screw you already screwed with our
0: format, which is okay. We worked around it, we've got a great idea for that, but then you say greatest of all time. <laughs> when That's the show wacky. is Wacky. Yeah, wacky. <laughs> dang Irish people. They just they just always, you know, have to tr- have to no, I won't use that term. Um have to buck tradition is what I was trying to say. And I was gonna say tuck tradition. I don't know. Okay, yes. Yeah, so um instead of our usually scheduled programming, we are going to be going over two random movies selected by our lovely guest, um, that he claims are the best of all time. I
2: might say greatest, but
0: Some might say greatest, but they're wrong. And uh so yeah, we will be doing that. And um I think how we decided that is that we are going to pull our last um basically friend selected picks that wasn't actually a friend selected pick, so that is Parasite, and we are going to lump in the winner of this podcast into that slot. So we won't we won't disrupt the, the bracket too much. If we have more guests in the future. We're going to have to work around that in some other way maybe have another bracket for guests but um yeah so that's what we're doing today ryan do you have a preference of what movie we talk about first
3: well i feel like the movie that's on the tip of everyone's tongues right now is probably con air i know i know um that grant has some very strong feelings That i I have very
1: strong
0: feelings i mean yeah it it is a very interesting movie that in Imbues very strong feelings in people. I think that's a that's a very accurate way to describe this movie. Whether yes, it's good you will or feel
2: something from this movie. <laughs> yes,
0: you will feel something very passionately about this movie. Whether it's good or bad is up to you. Um. No. So, uh, Ryan, uh, we usually do a bit of a movie breakdown. Uh, did you prepare anything as somebody who claims to be a, a surefire listener of the podcast?
3: Yeah, uh, I, have a, I have a short a short intro to the movie as, you know, just a general elevator pitch of what Con Air is and why it's important to global cinema. Excellent. Be still my heart. All right. So the point of Conair is to do three things. It is to give you some of the best practical special effects cinema has ever seen. It is to deliver snappy one-liners and it is to tell a story of a man's redemption in an airplane full of convicts that has been taken over by said convicts, while also healing
2: America. Amen. <laughs> wow, healing America. All right.
0: Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, so my first thing off the bat, Grant, I think you had an astute observation at our text thread. Is Nick Cage just doing Forrest Gump? Like this is four years or three, <laughs> three years after Forrest Gump, and um, uh, I'm gonna play our audio clip of his horrible southern accent.
2: My first thought would be lot. Well, uh, put the bunny back in the box.
0: Can you guys hear that?
2: I said. Okay, perfect. Put the bunny back in the box.
0: So I. That is. How could you not
1: laugh? It's <laughs> yeah. not just dis- great. <laughs> My description of watching this movie was it was like watching Forrest Gump star in Rambo with weirdly heavy Christian overtones a la Fireproof. <laughs> it, yeah, was, that's it was one beautiful. of the wildest combination of, of films I think I've seen in, at least in this bracket, certainly the most uh, bombastic and absurd film uh, we've got on the list for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's an unnecessary prison riot in which the main character just says, "You know what? I'm hanging out in my bunk for this one," and just flips yeah. over. <laughs> and it is not it is not a small scale prison riot. There's like fires burning in the hallways. Yeah. Horrifying. You also a get a completely unnecessary four car pileup for when a body falls out of the sky. Um, to the point where it was a green light one way, and it was clear that there was two people that just ran red lights into this car.
1: <laughs> it It is a truly,
0: truly absurd movie. There's a DEA element, which is totally dumb. And is like, why is the drug enforcement agency on this flight of convicts? They're not smuggling drugs. There's, go ahead, Ryan.
3: They do explain. So clear, clearly, I'm not amidst fellow fans. Because <laughs> any, any true connoisseur of Con Air, and I, having seen this movie seven times, I, I, I do count myself among that, that, that grouping, um, would know that the DEA is on that flight, not because of the people on the flight during the first leg of it, but because of the man with the ponytail, you might recall,
2: oh, yeah, on the, on the second
3: uh, flight. And, and they don't dwell on this plot point, to be fair. So the reason yeah. that the convicts it's have planned to take over the plan and why they had the resources to do so was because a member of a Colombian cartel was boarding the flight in Carson City. And so he he and his organization had funded the planning. Oh, okay, yeah. That... yeah. And so the DEA wanted to question him en route to DC or Alabama, I guess, because the FBI was going to take custody of him at that point. And the DEA wanted the, the you know, the... Colloquial collar, checks out.
0: But there's no reference to drugs in this. It's just that his 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 operations were funded by drugs. It's not like they're smuggling drugs. Like the DEA wouldn't be involved. This is this should be a Homeland Security Homeland Security FBI. I. That is such a (laughs) such a weak argument for why. I think it's just that the DEA is just a very vocal or it's a it's a very well-known part of you know our our zeitgeist go ahead Ryan. Well, well this this is a pre-9-11
3: world you have to remember homeland security hasn't been invented yet um part of homeland security was introduced in 2002 oh really um yeah that was um in order to oh, specifically fix this interagency rivalry and the lack of information sharing that had existed prior to 9-11 which was blamed for 9-11 itself and I think you bring up a really interesting point, Quinn. That this not only is this film addressing racism, sexism, um, yeah, <laughs> surprise, uh, uh, mixed mixed messages on on sexism it's, and LGBT yeah. issues, definitely, um, as well as you know secularism and stuff. But it does it, it addresses um, a lot of America's trauma from the 1970s and 80s in a package that is accessible to the entire country, and it brings up a really important issue in American security culture in the 90s around um interagency rivalry so i think i think you 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 bring up a really interesting this is episode. why i love having smart well, people
0: and that <laughs> is wild that america was such a shithole country in the 90s that our our government agencies had rivalries it's like oh yeah. f- fuck those guys at the cia we're the fbi <laughs> fuck those guys at the fbi we're the we're the dea it's like oh that is so funny
1: so the, the two things that I love about the movie pairing you brought, uh, Ryan, um, first off, you know, one of the, the things that I love about this personally for this election is it's a John Cusack film. And frankly, in my head canon, every John Cusack film is just a Ryan O'Regan film because you remind me of him. So so like I replace you in his role in like like uh um, yeah. right. You have touched on
0: something that I subconsciously did i know I
1: john, john, I just,
0: the, uh, john cusack in this movie i was trying to figure out who he looks like or who he reminds me of <laughs> and i ended up writing down miles teller and i'm like that doesn't feel right but ryan great you're a lot more handsome than <laughs> a lot more handsome than john cusack but there is yes. something about john cusack that is inherently ryan O'Regan,
1: or and i don't get it i don't it, understand it it's the delivery i think um but outside of that that personal point, um, I think this Con Air lines up very well as a foil to screwball comedies. You know, I, I feel like the absurdist action movies of the 90s have that same sort of um, social meta commentary going on that the screwball commentary or screwball comedies of the nineteen late 1930s, early 1940s had, um, where it can at first blush you know that like your first read is oh god this is a really problematic film you know it like the 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 race elements are really challenging the lgbtq con- or, uh, elements are really challenging but a deeper read almost makes it seem like it's uh, you know because the film is so absurd it's making fun of these issues calling them out in a non-confrontational way um similar to what the the screwball comedies did with uh, gender roles and race in the 1940s
3: couldn't have said it better myself Grant yeah and I, I think Conair in particular around those issues I feel like the time it was made is really interesting in terms of all of that stuff because the United States had been dealing with massive spikes in crime the past the past two decades at this point they've been dealing with you know active you know um, political terrorism in a way the United States has never experienced um, over the past two decades, uh, it, and its reference in, in the and in, in the the prisoners on the plane, not to mention the the rise of serial serial killers like Jeffrey Dahmer, um, that traumatized the entire country and changed the way that Americans thought of themselves. And so having all of those different cultural bugaboos on one plane, but also having humanized prisoners and uh, and kind of a ham-fisted attempt at racial healing in, in giving uh, Nicholas Cage a cellmate who who is never actually named,
0: whose crime
3: is never <laughs> actually outlined, <laughs> and who never does anything wrong in the entire movie. I think that they really go out of the way to try and humanize people who are in the prison system and don't deserve it, while giving us a bunch of figures to hate who do deserve to be in prison, while also inserting a John Cusack, um, you know, um, writer's voice character to to wax poetic about you know the problems with the American justice system and how it creates um, monsters and so like I, like it's it's a really fun movie like I, I, the reason I think it's the best movie is of all time is because it is undeniably entertaining and consistently so on rewatch like I will never get tired of watching this movie uh, my wife Edie uh, will equally never get tired of it. Ari Ari, a mutual friend of all of ours, watched it three times in a row with me once, the first time we saw it because we were just so enamored with this film. there's so much there's so much to go into. Every single scene has something that makes this movie great. And the sum of that is, in my opinion, the best movie ever made.
2: Walter, um, what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, no, this is like maybe. My second time watching this movie um it, it is a lot of fun i will just say like what grant was saying earlier how this is very comparable to the next movie we're going to watch or talk about i think um they're both they both can be pretty exhaustive like by the end of this movie like the like surprise fourth act in las vegas it just yeah no shits are given at that point. They should have been pulp by the time <laughs> they hit the, they hit the las Vegas strip um but yeah like it is it's a fun entertaining movie, and there is like social commentary that you can really dig into like upon re rewatch and everything um i mean there are definitely it's, it's a film of the nineties there's definitely problematic elements of it like Dave Chappelle's character and the uh, uh, use of the LGBTQ character just for the sake of jokes. Um, yeah, it's definitely a movie of its time. It's, um, the the um, the depiction of, of the,
3: the the obviously trans-coded character mm-hmm. is, which is literally only there to be laughed at. There's no further characterization except, oh, look, it's a trans person. Was bad. There was one thing that I found. Weirdly layered, though, in even that the gross, offensive caricature, though, the moment when Nicolas Cage is going to punch that character, and then stops, and then recognizes their identity as a woman, mm-hmm, it's, and accepts that identity as a woman, and treats, treats the character as a woman under his weird southern coat of honor, and refuses yeah. to strike her with a closed fist. Which is really weird. It's an open hand. <laughs> it's a weird open-handed.
2: shot,
3: but there is something potentially
1: progressive there
3: because he's he's accepting. Uh,
1: okay, all right. I like I've I've put up with enough AP AP English bullshit here for a while. I, I was trying to back you with that screwball thing, but man, I think you're you're pushing the boundaries here on that. This is, not, the, this that is read. not
0: Shakespeare. Um, I <laughs> I I do not want to argue that. I, I, the, the trans character that you're referring to, it's, it's the, the guy who's super offensive, it's, it's it's on a dress at the end, at at the end of the movie. He, I, I bet more than anything, yes, nowadays we understand that maybe he's transgender. It's never explicitly stated. I would say this is an offensive gay stereotype and how gay people are, are like, Oh Wanna my god. Be, like want yeah, or like are like, yes, it's it's a it, it comes from a lack of understanding of of uh gay people rather than an acceptance of transgendered people, Ryan.
2: <laughs> I mean that is the 2021 read of it. Like that's I mean what I was thinking I mean, of like, reading. I, I think ultimately it is yeah, an amalgamation
3: of two different negative stereotypes, yeah, squashed, squashed together, and then Nicholas Cage's treatment of the character is a function of his contempt rather than acceptance of that person's identity he also
0: is the white knight of the trailer park like i mean talk about uh socioeconomic you know standing up for the socioeconomic uh little person uh this dude gets so mad about this dude talking about trailer parks in a negative fashion my mama lives in a trailer park it's (laughs) (laughs) i yeah nicholas cage just covers every 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 demographic, I guess, if you're if you're gonna make that <laughs> argument, like he he fights for everybody, yeah,
3: it's through a a southern lens, you know, and the character is from Alabama. but like he defends he defends women. he defends um African Americans. He defends potentially can be argued loosely and not very convincingly that he, he accepts um the one um, potentially transcoded character's identity. Um, but yeah, no, it it's uh, that aspect of the movie. I just like, I I was watching with Evie last night, and we both just like, we're just it, we enjoyed every moment of the movie except those scenes because it was really hard for us to feel anything other than uncomfortable. Yeah. But the practical effects and the and the one liners are just so good.
2: It's yeah, just Nicholas Cage's uh, character in this, like he's so unhuman. <laughs> I don't know, like he has no human emotions to anything that's going on, except when when John Malkovich is going to shoot the bunny and they're reading, you know, the letter he wrote. Then he's actually crying and stuff. But like his reaction to everything is, yeah, put the bunny back in the box.
1: Yeah, I was, uh, you, you know, you comment on the one liners and initially I take them as a positive because I, I enjoy I enjoy quips. I'm a sucker for that sort of thing. But I did realize that up until about um, minute 65 of the movie, Nicolas Cage only has two instances of saying more than four lines consecutively. All his other line reads are only one-liners. You yep. such a blank slate of a person. And it's actually a little bit problematic because we don't get enough of an introduction to his character before he accidentally murders a person. And so it's very hard to tell at the start of the film, is he actually a good guy? I mean, they, once they start doing the letters with his daughter, and I, I mean, it's uh, it's very emotional and a, a surprisingly strong, um, you know, minute 10. But the, the first intro of the movie is background on the Army Rangers, and then he gets in a bar fight and kills someone. And because we had had, had no really conversation, no dialogue, thing. and he has so little... Um, uh dialogue to develop himself later on he is just this blank slate of violence that wants to get back to his daughter and i i i struggled to identify you know is he really the good guy is, is he is it an anti-hero thing i i don't know it the the one-liners i actually felt um in the way they were implemented here was to its detriment it's not like in uh a, um a uh, a Spider-Man or, or a disaster film where you build up, you know, you get the first 15-20 minutes of family background and character development, and then you get to the one-liners. We were one-liners from the get-go.
0: Well, And Grant, you don't implicitly feel that when there's an army ranger on your screen, he isn't automatically the good guy? What? That's, yeah, you're, you, you were supposed to lean into the fact that, oh, this guy was in the army, he must be a good guy. And that the people attacking him are just mad because he was in the army. And that's that is that seems to be his character or er, caricature. That's why it's constantly referenced is that, oh, you're being the army ranger now when he's ever doing a good deed. It's that it's it's and I I unfortunately there isn't any sort of like irony to it. It's just seemingly that it's written to the point where if you were in the military or specifically in the army rangers you are a good guy and you are a good guy to your core and you will only ever be a good guy
3: and on the note of nicholas cage's morality in this movie we do there are repeated instances where he he only rises to violence when the situation requires it we see him try to not get that dea agent killed he only kills starts killing prisoners when his life is explicitly endangered he doesn't go out of his way to kill anybody he doesn't have to, the entire movie, which I think is, is noteworthy. There's a lot of killing in this movie. Until the end where they're like, enjoy. fuck these guys,
2: <laughs> we can just go to kill them.
0: You know what, guys? I I I hate to, I, I think Ryan's right, this might be the greatest movie of all time, because I think it really hits on the- oh,
2: Best movie of all time. That,
0: I think it hits on the, I, I will <laughs> not argue that it is the best of all time, but- it really hits on the <laughs> fact that um you know in the past couple of years we've seen a lot of like issues with police not understanding de-escalation tactics and i think that nicholas cage's character is a reference to the fact that we even in the military or in the police, we don't teach proper de-escalation tactics and unfortunately that's why he has to resort to violence all the time as like yes it is a last resort but he doesn't implement the de-escalation issues and i think you know this movie was ahead of its time it probably predicted all of the unrest with the police and all of the the inability of the police to be trained in de-escalation tactics so I think Ryan's absolutely right in the same way it it predicted transgender transgender uh you know mistreatment what yeah mistreatment thank you I was trying to think of the the, that's a good word for it that's um I was going to say inequality but it's always been there um, I, I think while it predicted that as well, it also predicted police violence and the inability for the police to be trained properly in uh, de-escalation tactics.
1: On, on the topic of violence, I, I, I can't. Okay, now you're muting and laughing, so I can't yeah. tell. <laughs> We've reached the point in, Other bullshit. in this review. Where I don't know if we're being ironic or serious.
0: No, I I am definitely not. I think it's just the fact that you you need to have a a kind-hearted soul that is also a total badass, and unfortunately, they didn't know how to write that properly, and so. It it goes from
1: murdering people aggressively on, i mean on the topic of violence though a, a number of the fight scenes i want to give some credit for the choreography and, and being surprisingly unique um you know just yeah. from going back to Very basic film stuff instead of social commentary uh the fight in the underside of the plane where they had to be crouched over the whole time was cool. <laughs> yeah i'd never seen a fight choreographed cool. in that way before that was really neat um i uh, uh nick cage's spin kick and when, the, when he's in, like, the, the gun shootout with the three people was, oh, ma- mm, chef's kiss. It was majestic. I rewound and just played that spin kick over four or five times because it was, uh, uh, oh, man, Nick Cage dressed Are you as, talking about
2: the beginning?
1: No. Oh, no. no. Okay. the Three cartel
2: people at the jet. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because he, yeah, at like, the beginning, he did, like, that nose-breaking, like, move, like, this... <laughs> Just,
3: yeah um and i i really like the fire engine that's something that i hadn't seen before um people hijacking a fire engine then using the, the water <laughs> cannon as a weapon yeah that felt like totally a high speed like yeah. truck top fight i mean
2: that was that was yeah it was creative
1: was i it I was did, especially and, and john
2: Malkovich's when... depth too he oh, died yeah. like three times. Well, yeah.
0: What is that? What is that? <laughs> it's a li- you know, when they're thing, going through the Las Vegas there, Strip like
2: a, and somehow he ends like, up in an industrial factory.
0: Yes, It's a rock
2: crusher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: I, I, the fire engine scene, I, I basically called it the uh, motorcycle bukkake scene. Because <laughs> you see, <it's> like <laughs> he, he sprays this water and then it's just a really close up of this guy in the head of his motorcycle. And it's just right in the face like, ah, and then he falls over <laughs> it was so great and of course they have to include oh he's a pig he's gonna drop his donut to go save this like this movie just plays in stereotypes to an absurd degree which i i absolutely love as as all of (laughs) us know uh our our humor is very absurdist so it it works for me in a way um the the fireman's harpoon i loved i i know it's called a book but it looked so much like a just straight up harpoon that i'm like where did you get that yeah that's from like an old boat pro- or an There's old him boat.
2: through the lake <laughs> yeah.
1: uh, there, there were some pretty just i i think weak screenwriting elements that you know no steve shit Shem- what? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> steve buscemi's Great. character i have no idea he 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 did nothing yeah, he existed that- only to provide Explicit explanation of ironic humor in the movie. Anytime they made right. a joke that they weren't sure people were going to pick up on, they had Steve Buscemi character explain it, and then think, yeah, that's it. That's his I, whole function through yeah. the whole film. Oh, I, th-
3: I think Steve Buscemi has has a few different roles in the movie. Um, oh shit! I, I think I think I think his comedic delivery and presence in the in the movie is. Is one of the less talked about things. because like, I, 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 yeah. I I ran up on the fandom uh, before this because I wa- I wanted to see what other people thought about Conair to inform my own views a bit. And I know not enough people talk about. There's a scene. There's a scene where the camera pans to Steve Buscemi just smiling at them.
2: <laughs>
3: <Yes. They're>
0: like, <laughs> Hi, Garland. <I> <laughs> the whole movie for me. I love Steve Buscemi's character in this movie. Uh... Yeah,
2: he's the one only one that I would say is actually intimidating like all the other convicts are like cartoonish but like when he gets onto the plane like there's just something about like just his presence that is scary
0: well you you see him first with more security than the velociraptors had in Jurassic, (laughs) and then he gets on the plane they take his mask and you just see like when he's wearing that mask you just see he's just the eyes characteristic beady eyes because steve buscemi has is i i don't I don't want to categorize him as a character actor but i think his physical appearance is almost cartoonish um not saying that that's a bad thing i think it's a phenomenal thing and i think he's an incredible actor because of it and he plays into it but he was so he's so creepy to look at that it just works so well for this and um another thing i don't want to jump ahead in his arc but do you guys think he killed that kid no,
3: she you saw. Her she. We,
2: we see her like waving at the oh, do we? plane. I
3: think yeah. she might have been a have hallucination. Yeah, no, that's that was kind of um, I got Oh, definitely really... from the scrapyard.
0: Okay, She's waving I, okay. With her with okay. A doll. That's there. So, also... I mean, you do see character progression there. He doesn't yeah. kill the kid. Like that. No, he he accepts that he's or did sick. he actually see the kid? Yeah, like he. It's weird because it's like he he's too. He he. I I guess Ryan. It kind of goes back to your point that like you are it 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 is trumping or it is uh, stepping on these stereotypes of prisoners as just being inherently bad, including like these really aggressive murderers. It's like no, there is a level of self awareness to this character that is kind of uncomfortable too. It's like do we really want to think about yeah. the the uh, realities of this? Which it kind of goes back to what Ryan said at the beginning. Like this movie is like. I have like five pages of notes on this movie and one page of notes on his day, his girl's Friday, I'll say his
1: day Tuesday, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> there, there is the
2: Undertuck sequel, yeah.
1: There is also a uh, a read to this, you know, if if you want to go to the uh, uh, the Christian allegory read, which by the end of it, when he's like all proved he, he is Jesus, God, yeah. <laughs> um, Then in this movie, my read was actually Steve Buscemi was God to Nick Cage's Jesus, in that think he's the one who does sings the the whole world in his hands as the the plane is crashing. That's he's a the point. one who's he's providing kind of high level meta commentary of well you know, sure, this is crazy, but isn't the nine to five crazy, you know, rather being than being good to your fellow man, just showing up 40 hours a week until you die at the age of 60. And he he has such an outside view of every other character in the film. He's, he's brought in and is feared without really being understood, you know, despite not taking any violent action himself. If, if you take it in the weird Christian allegory sense, Steve Buscemi could be God to Nick Cage's Jesus. Yeah. So, no.
2: Absolutely.
3: <laughs> just to make sure I understand your allegory here, he, Steve, was old, the Old Testament God, is a serial killer, played by Steve Buscemi. Yes. Okay. And then, and then, yeah, no, through Cage. He grants forgiveness. Correct. Okay. I mean, he stopped yeah. killing he's <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> he didn't kill the little
2: girl. He's just playing craps at the end well, of the he movie. He never gets hurt either. Exactly. Like, he's yeah, the only think one who doesn't he... sustain
1: any injuries in this movie. He magically <laughs> escapes. He's, he's barely referenced by other people in the film, too. His character was so out of place in so many of the scenes that it was in that it felt very other relative to yeah. not just the other characters, but the tone of the whole film. And so once they get started getting real, like real uh, fireproof levels, Christian, you know, even with John Malkovich being put up like on a cross on the the fucking the fire truck ladder and being driven through, and then ultimately yeah, thrown down into a pit where he's crushed by the giant construction work, you know, there the the. Uh, I know I'm also getting into my AP English bullshit here at this point, but I don't know. I thought there was a fair amount of Christian symbolism that could point to Steve Buscemi being God in the film.
3: Would you say that this is a prequel to um, Jim Carrey's uh, and then uh, you know Steve Carell's biblical films um, just a few years later?
0: Oh, I'm uncomfortable. So. where Steve
3: Buscemi became <laughs> Morgan Freeman? God, god works in mysterious ways he is unknowable
0: no but i god it's uncomfortable how much we can read into this movie where i know that that's not what they're thinking no I know, <laughs> like that, that's because
1: guess, there's nothing here ryan this is a, a film with little to no substance it's all flash like if i'm gonna be serious I, for a yeah. second the reason you can do so many absurdist reads is because there's not a clear-cut um, yeah, uh, focus a... theme or drive that it has on its own, so you can layer whatever you want over the top mm-hmm. of it. Now, whether that's a strength or a weakness, um, you know, uh, other other people can decide. But uh, I, you know, the film was fun, but would I say it's the best of all time? I, th- I think it's got way too many uh, uh, screenwriting flaws. Um, uh, way, just the the acting, despite having a a list cast was you know c plus at best you had a few standouts who were absolutely excellent um where everyone else felt like they were phoning it in a little bit uh and then it also had they the worst movie. ever were... <laughs> movie line of the guy saying sigh in a questioning manner as that's the bad guy's name to which he responds "Anara," and then Lights oh the guy i love on that fire. yeah
2: just being that quick <laughs> the was worst that was the hilarious. worst line i've ever uh, heard i loved it oh god yeah no this movie's everything but the kitchen sink approach so there's i think there's something for everybody in this movie and i think that makes it accessible i feel like
3: the movie is obviously just a vehicle for a-list actors to say one-liners amidst big explosive practical effects uh and there is literally nothing else there Except for a peppering of social commentary, because you know it was written by someone from California in the '90s, Uh, but like the fact that it's entertaining for almost anybody who wants to watch it, and consistently so, I feel like there's something to be said for it. I understand it's not, I, I, I definitely understand that the that it's that there are flaws, but I think I I think that the the fact that they were able to make a movie that I, I, I think 95% audiences are going to enjoy watching is a real testament to, this, to the craft that they put into making this movie, uh, in my opinion, the best.
0: This is wild. So, Ryan, um, what, do you, what do you watch movies to do? Like, how do you, like, when you go into a movie, what do you, do you want it to just be entertaining with no, I guess, no substance? I think that there's
3: different things you can go to movies for. I think that it's it's hard, and possibly you know I I don't want to undermine the um, <laughs> the point of this bracket by saying that you can't compare apples to oranges, but it's difficult to do so. It's difficult to say Schindler's List is better. Than the Three Stooges, they're just they're just very different things, you know.
1: Fuck Schindler's <laughs> List, not even top ten material, not on ours at all. It's not nearly as good nope. as Real Steel. Don't me. Re- the <laughs> reason I don't from- <laughs> like Schindler's
0: List, and maybe this is bad, is because it knows what it's trying to manipulate in you, and it does it effectively. But going in, they made that movie knowing it was going to evoke a certain emotion. Whereas I feel like a lot of a lot of the movies I have on my list evoke an emotion while being entertaining like um and we'll get into that and it's funny because a lot of that is animated stuff for me um we'll get into that in the later part of the bracket, but I guess I that's that's kind of what I struggle with is. Is this do I think this movie is the best of all time I don't because I don't feel an emotion where like yes, it is wildly entertaining uh, in a really great way, but you 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 leave it not feeling that emotional feeling whereas a lot of the movies i have like my feeling number one movie,
2: after this my movie. number
0: one movie i'm like incredibly entertained by it it's got an incredible soundtrack and to the point where like i'll listen to the soundtrack in the car i'll start to get the goosebumps on the top of my head and i can tear up a little bit
1: and when i i'd love for you to explain i heard you use two different words there in, in different contexts to describe a a similar action but i think they they carry very different subtext and i'd love for you to explain um in uh, with schindler's list you gave the example of um manipulating emotions and then in some of the other film examples you gave evoking emotions what do you think differentiates uh the way a film uh, elicits feeling in an individual um, between manipulation versus evoking which i think would have a more positive connotation
0: I think as somebody who was born in 1993 and has only lived in a post World War 2 world, a movie like Schindler's List, I it's harder for me to relate to that character or relate to like relate to that action because, you know, we we've never had to experience something as as catastrophic as that and the things that happen in that movie like, yes, they're incredibly, you know, important and awesome, but we, it's hard for me to identify outside of just being, yeah, I feel like I would do that sort of stuff. Like, I, you know, you you never want to admit that, you know, in that situation, you might have a different course of action. You want to be, you want to think and you want to relate to that character because you want to be good like that. And so I think knowing, knowing that that's, like, it's like they created the, the instead of creating a character that, I, I don't know how to describe it, Um, they knew what they wanted audiences to feel about that character from the get-go. Whereas a lot of movies, like, when you have complex characters, there are points where it's like, oh, maybe I wouldn't, maybe I wouldn't do that, or maybe I wouldn't Maybe I wouldn't be as like I. It, it, but quite, isn't that done?
1: It, like I, I would argue that both those actions have the same intentionality. If you were trying to generate a specific reaction to a ca- character, whether uh, positive and something that should be idealistic, or um, you know, you use the the term complex, but I'd maybe say like uh, ambiguous or questioning, where you have to decide, okay, how do I feel about this either way it's it's intentional are are you saying you you prefer One's, one's
0: aspiration so granted kind of goes back to how like the movies you like it's the good versus bad like inherently good basically all good very little like negative point to it like um a knight's tale he's heath ledger's character even his trait is kind of like even his like Uh, tragic flaw or um, character flaw is kind of endearing it's that like he 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 thinks better of himself because his father um or he he knows he can do better for himself because his father instilled such this like aspirational aspect to him so I feel like like the the character in Schindler's List it's funny we're just gearing off into a, a different movie now I just
3: I, I I didn't want to interrupt you, but I I, I think I I might have like a, I think I I think I know what you're saying. You know the um. That's
0: wild. The way it feels inorganic sometimes, happened.
3: or like or like the deck is stacked.
0: Yeah, it's in like if, of a character. there's so there's so many good traits, and like yeah. even the even the negative traits that they put in seem to be selectively chosen so that. It won't diminish your opinion of that character, and so it becomes an aspirational yeah, that character sense. that we all want to be. Whereas in a like lot Mary of Sue. yes, in a lot of yeah, like a like a stereotype of the good guy. Like yes, he might have one tragic flaw, but you know it as a selected tragic flaw. It's like okay, somebody put this in knowing that it was wasn't going to affect your opinion of the character, but it was going to show that he is human. Um, so it's almost like a cookie cutter aspect, whereas in my movies, there's no like um so weathering with you that's my first movie. There's not really a good or bad guy um, it's just like these actions are are taking place over this amount of time, and you know the characters want some characters want something like it's it's not that oh good and evil, like we have to conquer evil sort of thing it's. just these characters wanting something them trying to get it that butting up against some people like there's not really a lot of like i i, I it's that that part of it's hard to describe a little bit more than it is like the creating i, character I think character. i get it though i think i know
3: what you mean like when you make something too perfect it stops feeling human
0: yeah like and it's and then like even the points where you're trying to not make it seem like you made a perfect movie or made a perfect character. The points where you're trying to humanize it end up coming off as inhuman but yeah ryan thank you for being able to elaborate on this but mm-hmm. yeah i like I, this is a phenomenal movie it's so entertaining but um i like the movies that i like are entertaining and then i feel like that that thing in my chest of that emotional connection of the characters the the, the feeling that yes that not that it represents me now, but it, it it in the past I've had those feelings of frustration, and I didn't do anything about them, or I did something smaller than what these characters are doing. But I have this frustration with the world too. But sorry for the insane tangent on that. That was mm. holy cow. But no, I appreciate I, you keeping Can mm-hmm. I can I jump into I I found this crazy story about um, and I I pulled a soundbite of it from a little girl who watched this movie and then later in life a car flipped on top of her mother and the little girl she wasn't that little at that point but picked up the car in the same way that we think of like mothers having that motherly instinct but here's a little sound clip from that so um (laughs) so um yeah um,
1: Fuck you and everything you stand for.
0: So, Grant, what did you um, what did you say that uh, this movie felt like?
1: Oh, it felt like a two-hour rickroll.
0: Yes, literally just finished it for the first time. It felt like a two-hour rickroll. Well, Grant, how amazing is it that this director, Simon West, has directed three things of note: Con Air, the 2002 Lara Croft Tomb Raider, um, with Angelina Jolie, and the music video. For Rick Astley's never going to give you up. No, you're fucking
2: lost
1: <laughs> Excellent. I'm sorry. I'm sure I peaked the microphone. You said you had a surprise for me. Are you serious? He was yeah. genuinely? Yes. Oh. And the fact that you said it was a two-hour
0: Rick roll, I was like shaking at it. Because I had just looked up beforehand. Very
2: one-dimensional director. What else
0: this guy has done? Because it seems like such a specific, specific skill set as a director. And that popped up. And I'm like, holy shit. That's fucking hysterical.
2: He also did Black Hawk Down too. Oh
0: yeah, What at the Cape.
2: They,
1: yeah. Oh yes, yes. Okay, so he he does, but it it was just we, we a, have Black Hawk Down and the Cape, and you picked Laura Croft's Tomb Raider. Comparative, yeah. like I, it just
0: seemed like the three movies that felt like Rick rolls, were the actual music video for Never Gonna Give You Up, this movie, and video for game Laura, movie, <laughs> yes. One of the first video game movies that um, I think was actually surprisingly successful. But it seems yeah, got like a everybody, sequel. everybody forgets about it.
3: And to be fair, it is only one episode of the cake.
0: Okay. <laughs> Good. But yeah, I just, that was, I, I was like giddy to the point where yesterday I texted Ryan and Wally to make sure. Like, did you know the irony that, of this? And like, make no. Sure they didn't know that information <laughs> as well because I thought it was just so...
2: That is really funny.
0: So perfect. I would have never guessed that. that. Yeah, that's fucking beautiful. Wild, but it works so well with what you said, and I'm like, this is great. I think we've been talking about this movie quite a bit. <laughs> um, do we want to wrap up with anything? Does anybody have anything in their notes of worth? Um, I I, I like just... thought
3: one more thing that they did when the plane crashed, and Nicholas Cage is confronted by John Malkovich. They had so many different deus ex machina, uh, you know, um, things that they could have done uh, to just sort of change the script, uh, flip the script so that Nicolas Cage escapes the sticky situation. The thing they chose to do was have a propeller pop off the plane and saw through the fuselage. And I think that that is fantastic. Well, and they
0: had... See, I, <laughs> that was one of my notes. Is that um, the the insane reflexes, like that they had to just pull apart at that specific moment, is outrageous. Because that propeller would be moving at such a rate that there's no freaking yeah. way you're going to be able to pull apart from that. But there was no repercussions to that.
1: That was one of the miracles of Steve Buscemi. Oh, that's yeah, true. He made it so <laughs> great. He's just like, my son,
0: my son isn't ready to die yet. Please unhand him sir (laughs) but no i had um yeah he he didn't react to getting shot in the arm at all
2: that was awesome
0: (laughs) um john cusack when he's driving the tractor he sings okay (laughs) like in the weirdest in the weirdest way possible um You know ryan's maintenance corner there was a lot of issues i had with this um them (laughs) using the sprinkler system uh pipe to do chin-ups in the jail at the beginning um him wiring the um the uh what is it that transponder thing him wiring it using the insulated part of the wire just wrapping it around the end of the battery (laughs) was hysterically funny um I loved the reference to the anarchist cookbook that um yeah, just, that John Malkovich just randomly has along with his blueprints. Look in his how room.
2: evil he is! Yeah. How did
0: he? How did he replastered that brick? In his how did he build
3: a bomb,
2: Ryan? It, I mean,
3: he that, just did. Yeah, He's a oh, genius. that was yeah. hilarious.
2: Yeah, John Cusack's like, "Don't touch anything." Two seconds later, oh, what's in this thing?
0: Yeah, that was. That was ridiculous. There was an absolutely weird fist bump between Nicolas Cage and, uh, what is his name? Oh, baby. Oh, baby. I was going to yeah. say, oh, baby. But, um, also, yeah, I I, I wrote in there, oh, no, baby. Oh, actually killed 200 people in this incredible murder spree, but he likes snowballs. So, guess what? He's redeemable. No, I, no, that's a joke, Grant. That's a, that's a lie that I just made up because I thought it was more funny. <laughs> Some- than anything else
1: no sorry i've been fucking around with my uh my christian allegory and i think i have an even deeper read this was um this was uh specifically the story of jesus being in the desert for the 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 40 days takes place in arizona he is tempted by the devil to Mm -hmm. escape where he can leave you know, he doesn't have to go in prison. He can leave with all these other prisoners and abandon early and go and, and be himself and have his freedom. This is specifically I mean, yeah, an allegory for that story. And, and that does make uh, John Malkovich's character, the devil, concretely. Yep, I stand by it. It's my my formal official read for this is it's a giant allegory for uh, the, the temptation of Jesus in the desert.
0: Well, and it's funny that this this um, prisoner airline is so it's so relatable to nowadays with how like uh, our modern airlines like Delta or United handle it where it's like if this plane isn't full, then we're not flying so we're gonna put a dude who's on parole and just flying to be taken home, <laughs> and then they have the, the worst gall, of the worst yeah the <laughs> gall to stick this man who's supposed to be getting his freedom with all these criminals and at the end the freaking cop that he white knighted and defended goes next time take the bus
1: dude have you ever been on a delta flight i would rather fly Conair. i mean for fucking real delta delta uh, yeah. is garbage yes but i just thought it was so
0: stupid that was one of the quotes i wrote down that this this girl that he stayed on the plane to help save because he knew there was going to be issues says take the bus next time and it's like i didn't have a fucking choice why did you put me on this plane i'm free just let me go i'll find my own way home and maybe grant you're right maybe he would have had to have flown delta and then at that point maybe was air was more way fun. Worse. Yeah. but um no i does anybody else have any notes i just uh thought it was but this movie was one of my favorite
2: scenes is like during just all the chaos in the desert where nicholas cage hides under the car and there's some old random guy <laughs> he's just like i need to use the bathroom like this place they they said there's no like civilization within 40 miles of this place what is this old guy doing here what's the little girl doing there that's where i kind of think that scene like that's all i think in steve buscemi's head because that was like the trippiest scene like the camera starts kind of shaking as the girl's laughing the little girl isn't acting like little girl like i don't know they find the action figure though
3: the cops found the action figure true. on the flight at the end of this. Where deep. Maybe he just found the action figure I think and then he imagined just, the entire <laughs> scene. It's true,
2: because it was like a like a post-apocalypse scene. This little girl just sitting in this like abandoned like backyard where there's just garbage <laughs> everywhere.
0: Well, and this movie is obsessed with piss. The amount of times like the ridiculing the DEA <laughs> <GTA laughs> agent for getting mad because his his agent pissed his pants all over the plane because we killed them. It's like nobody says that. Um, this this old man referencing Piss Piss is referenced like five times in this movie and it's like, What? Why it it just seems like you couldn't like just the act of peeing it just seems so weird to be thrown in this multiple times and referenced multiple times. The DEA agent having trouble reading the side of the um that <laughs> plane. It's like clearly not the same
2: plane and he has to read it out loud. But hmm, he you'
0: reads it like D- uh you no, it's a see see scenic too like he's struggling to read it. I put is this guy just dyslexic? Because good on them for like adding a dyslexic character into this movie. But also his, his fucking
2: like, car hanging off of the plane at one point. Well, that was it's was like,
0: fun. <laughs> it's like fuck sociology, I guess, and also fuck the rainforest and wearing flip flops. <laughs> <laughs> like what or recycling sandals like what a wild dialogue shift for this this DEA agent who's just so angry at everybody and I guess it does go back to the uh interdepartmental issues that the American government has but why is the DEA like the hyper masculine point of that where they don't like recycling and they don't like sociology I just thought it was incredibly amusing and I guess I guess that point, if if we're all pretty well set, Ryan, it's your movie. So if you have any final thoughts, or if anybody else does, we can.
3: I I just appreciate the fact that it was given its day in court.
0: It's so it's it's fun. <laughs>
3: it's,
0: it's just fun. how much
1: we love you, Orianne. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I I will say it is, in my opinion, significantly better than the next movie, which is our uh, what is, is Girl Friday. Yes,
2: I don't know okay. about that.
0: Okay, I found this movie incredibly pretentious
2: yeah that's the whole point though that's definitely the point like these are not likable characters but they're able to swindle their way through everything and to be able to do that for an hour and a half like i thought oh this is gonna get old no Cary Grant like he gets you through the whole freaking movie and it's funny just like that everyone no matter how high or low they are in like you know class stature they're all swindling each other except for you know some the the guy who's a who like shot the cop and like the woman who's trying to help him like those are your tragic characters um who are just trying to get through but like everyone else is just fucking the other person over and um it's very entertaining like I was genuinely surprised that like this isn't considered like I've never heard of this movie before Ryan until you you mentioned it you know like it's not like a Marx Brothers or Three Stooges but like I know Cary Grant to be very funny, and like this is one of the funniest performances I've seen them in.
1: Before we get too deep, let me just do some of the, the housekeeping stuff at the top, because um, I, yeah. I, I want to make sure that <laughs> Sorry, we, yeah, go we for give it. our audience the proper context. Uh, so His Girl Friday, released in 1940, a, a little shorter runtime than a modern audience might anticipate, at just about uh, an hour and a half. Um, directed by Howard Hawks, well known for his screwball comedies in general. Um, uh, it's, it's lead actors whereas Wally mentioned, Cary Grant, um, as Walter, uh, Rosalind Russell as, uh, Hedy, uh, and then Ralph Belemi as, um, uh, Bruce, her sort of, uh, slow-talking Midwestern husband-to-be, um. Uh, His Girl Friday was um, very popular at the time, and still to this day, highly rated at 99% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, which was a higher score than I'm typically used to seeing. Um, Written uh, to be a, you know, traditionally fast-talking, as I mentioned, screwball comedy, so uh, very fast-talking. It's a twist on the romantic comedy subgenre. Um, where instead of glorifying love, it it sort of pokes fun at it, and commonly uh, presents a topsy turvy world um, relative to the 1940s, uh, where the uh, women are typically uh, more masculine and and um, uh, stronger uh, professionally, the the men are are bumbling buffoons, um, and it's it's written with the intent to uh hold a mirror up to and uh, satirize the um uh, different viewpoints of the time
0: so one one thing of note this and it goes back to the fast talking uh one of the first bits of trivia on this movie is the fact that most movies the speaking is at about 90 words per minute Uh, In this movie, it was clocked at some points at 240 words a minute. Um, The fact that that was one of the first bits of trivia, I think, is is a good representation of how I feel about this movie. (laughs) The fact that people talk fast is a trivia of note. Um, Yeah, that was was my one thing. I loved, so just jumping straight in, I loved the fact they referenced the actor playing Bruce in the fucking movie. Oh my God, was that great? Him just going, yeah, he looks like that actor. And then saying the name of it, that was great. I was trying to find a clip of that just because I loved it so much. But yeah, I, Grant, that was a good summary of it. I, I think it does, yeah, it almost, it just satirizes the the two faceness of the media in a way that does feel pretty dang modern. Um, is that it's not like even just the, the multiple news reporters, how they frame a story for the, um for the newspaper that they're writing for is just very blatant and obvious. So I, I think it does it does a lot of, of good and it is incredibly modern because of that. But I yes. feel like
2: speaking of, to it being modern, I'd say it holds up even better than Kane or a movie that you <laughs> know 25 years ago. So that really speaks to yeah the staying power of this film.
3: Yeah. I mean like um one racial slur aside uh it was it was far more um far more acceptable um for, on, on
2: most most scales yeah there was like a racist caricature in their office too oh was there i didn't notice yeah that.
1: there are a couple slurs and uh that that use older terminology that we may not recognize nowadays yeah. they were um, talking
2: about yeah tits and dicks at one point too yeah
1: Yeah, there, the, the, uh, you know, you want to talk a a product of its time. Uh, Mm -hmm. This film was definitely that Um, in sort of, you know, a a common theme, as I mentioned, in screwball comedies is is a challenge of gender roles, Um, you know, getting meta on this podcast for a second. Really, the point of this podcast is for us to be able to hang out as friends, Um, you know, more so than actually providing commentary on movies. Um, so sometimes it can be challenging when we present our viewpoints because our, our viewpoints are very limited. We don't have the lived experience or the uh, educational background to be able to comment on um, uh, other uh, you know challenges for other other genders and races. Um, and as this is primarily a chance for us just as, as uh, um, you know friends to hang out, uh, we don't always have an opportunity to, elevate some of those other voices and get those other perspectives so one thing I did want to do with this film because I know we have historically had problems uh uh discussing uh gender roles and everything in movies just with me using wrong terms or or things like that I did want to go out and find a just a very brief um uh review and commentary on it written by a woman uh to to share and and help provide context outside of us um so uh ao scott and manola dargas uh wrote an article for the the new york times titled he said she said we said you said um in april 8th of 2020 uh, all about uh this movie um i did a lot of research after watching because frankly i wasn't sure if uh hildy's character the female lead who i came off as being very very competent and, and uh, strong and a very like feminist forward character, um, whether in the context of this film, it was being made fun of or if it was actually being supportive. So I wanted to go out, do some research and, and get a, an actual viewpoint from a, a, a woman. And, and so this was what uh, Dargis had to say. Um, Hildy is a wonderfully complex character, one that frustrates as well as delights. You can see her weeping as a defeat, true, but I think it makes her human, certainly more so than Walter, the other, uh, the male lead in the movie. And unlike so many men in the movie, she is supremely competent. Her jailhouse interview, for one, says more about her competency than any word of dialogue. Walter may be a great manipulator, but it is Hildy who is speedily making, talking, and writing her own destiny. Um, so I, uh, you know, just wanted to make sure we were. Elevating some other voices on the podcast before Excellent. we get back to our, our uh, ignorant commentary for a little while. If we're
3: front loading the the uh, like the serious social commentary bit about the, this film, um, one really interesting thing is that it's based in a play about two men that is very explicitly coded as gay, oh. and the director of this film, the writer of the film, um, discussed that um, in talking about it when they decided to replace. Hildy with a, Hildy's male character with, with a woman because, um, and I've got the quote here, um, we were having dinner one night at the house, six or eight people, and we were talking about the dialogue, and I said that the finest modern dialogue in the world came from you know this play. Um, there was a girl there who was pretty good, and I said, read the reporter's part, and I'll read the editor's part. And in the middle of it, I said, my lord, it's better with a girl reading it than the way it was. See, the front page was intended as a love affair between two men. I mean, they loved each other. There's no doubt that about it. And it was a lot easier for me to make a love story with a man and a girl and make some better scenes. It required so little change in dialogue. It was just simple. And so it's really, that's a really interesting cap on, you know, the, the general social stuff uh, around this film because it was coming from an era when, like, gay relationships were being represented in, in, on, on stage but never in film and so they had they had to they took a character that had already been written to be a fully fleshed out personality um and then just changed the gender in order to make it acceptable to um their you know the censors
1: contemporary audience interesting yeah.
0: well and i think that leads to why Hildy feels like such a strong character and like is able to like and um the actress of course now i can't remember um her name but she just kills it in like exuding that ma- masculine energy and being able to talk like that and i mean her running down the street and tackling that dude in oh that movie, was
2: the best thing
0: <laughs> badass and i'm like yeah. okay yeah I'm, I'm and yeah i knew it was based off a play i think you can tell by yeah how it does feel like that. a it, play it feels very much like a play um but knowing knowing that extra context for it i think it only strengthens the female character,
3: and oh, yeah, uh, I
0: think, yeah,
3: I think it that... takes away the handicap that the sexism of the time maybe would put yeah. on on the on the writers, because yeah. they they, they might have written her you know the way they like they would like to see as a woman rather than as a person. Oh yeah, uh, and uh, you get that with a few writers back, like Ernest Hemingway. The only woman he ever successfully wrote was a soldier because he just wrote her as a soldier, and not through his lens of what. A woman was because he wasn't capable of setting aside his you know prejudices and you know perceptions
1: now uh, quinn i'm surprised that, that you weren't a fan of this i i got so much of the theater vibe from this movie watching it there you know the, there aren't many cuts a lot of the scenes are long takes i i was at the first scene with hilde and walter was just breathtaking to me not only because of how fast they were talking but it it was staged like a play it was just the two of them talking in a room and i was wildly engrossed there was little to no background music throughout the film you know only in transitional scenes there was no uh, background music during um, uh, a lot of the the action and energy of the play is carried by the dialogue or of the movie is carried by the dialogue. And I think that's why that two hundred forty a minute words a minute is important because there's not a lot that happens. A lot of this is people talking about events in rooms because they're news reporters. Um, but the cadence and the speed of the dialogue uh, generates not only a lot of energy for the film but also creates its own, Rhythm and background music in itself. I was initially taken away on the fact that like there's no score in this, but it makes sense because it would just distract from the rhythm of the dialogue. And there's enough comedy driven from people talking over each other that I think having that background music would just be distracting um, and take away from a film that that you know, despite not having much movement, had tons of energy.
0: No, I, I, I guess part of part of why um this movie kind of rubs me the wrong way is that um it it falls into the trope of the what plays used to be or what this type of movie or this type of you know reproduction of a play used to be and that is like there is a an inherent sense of pretension to not the people in the play which i think we we talked about that there is pretension in those as well but just how it's how it's written and how it is directed. Um, I, I think modern plays and musicals are, are a lot more inclusive and don't talk down to you while also still covering some pretty important things. And um, I think that, you know, having seen a lot of these movies and seen that it is very, it, it kind of, you reach a point where it just feels the same. You feel that sense of pretension across a lot of this style of movie or play, and um, the more you watch of it, the more it starts to look like cookie cutter. Um, and you know them talking fast. That it, a lot of theater writers have have developed a style, especially in that time, to emulate that, or at least to you know that that was what they wanted. They wanted that fast talking, snappy. Back and forth repertoire to the point where it almost feels like the characters aren't talking to each other; they're just reading the script really fast. And like, I I think for me, the points where it felt the most apparent that there was that disconnect between the actors was when they're trying to talk on the phone. The phone calls didn't feel like anything; they felt like somebody yelling yelling lines. And I think, and but they're like in the lines even they're supposed to be reacting to what the other person is saying but they say it so fast that it's like no you didn't you didn't hear this person you're just saying your lines didn't that add
2: to the comedy though of them like picking up like five different phones at a time it's like for someone to pick up the phone that fast it just it's just ridiculous it just adds to yeah like i could see you know where you're saying this film is pretentious but the characters are so charming still that you like you care what's going on like it's engrossing like i don't think it's very manipulative it definitely speaks to to the time of like you know what a comedy should be in that sense
0: Um, are you supposed to care about these characters because i would argue no you're supposed to see them as absurdist like and maybe that's why it's it almost is like they they didn't they didn't bridge that gap. They made the characters too likable because it almost feels like a comedy of errors sort of like, you know, that's like there was a disconnect between the the slapsticky um uh physical comedy of the yeah, picking up tons of phones saying a line and then dropping it saying a line, that sort of stuff um and the the heart that it was trying to show in in the few characters that did have heart um and sh- showing how the the dead characters Uh, affected the characters with heart and emotion but
1: but that that was that was that was by design that that was clearly authorial intent um the the example i'd like to give it would be when um the the man who is who uh, is going to be hung for the murder um, the woman who loves him comes in and she is, is trying to challenge the, the, the male writers and they just berate her and you get quippy one-liner after one-liner and like the scene is comedic until she breaks down. And then Hildi, the person in the movie, I think the one person in the movie that you are supposed to um, like root for and, and um, uh, identify with, takes her out of the room and the filmmaker makes you sit in it you know that after the woman is crying and walks out you can feel the shame there is no talking between the rest of the people and that scene hangs for a long time it's interrupted by one phone call where it's like oh you want hildy she's not here you know the one moralistic person walked out of the room she's not here they put them on hold and then you sit in it again and so i i think that the the um you know the the ridiculousness and the the br- verbal brutality of, of the people that's played off for laughs along with the physicality um is it's it's done intentionally and i think that one scene is the the thing that really pulls it out it's the one moment midway through the film where it's like okay shit these these are real people and we're seeing Hildy is the only one who's treating them like real people. Everyone else is that caricature. Yeah. It's
2: one of the few moments of levity.
1: She's not acting
0: her like a real character because she like, that's why you see them also going and reading her article about how she's also manipulating, like she's using what she learned in there to write that article about how like, I, I don't, I don't think Hildy is at all a, a relatable or, or, like I think she's just as bad as everybody else, and you see that when they're reading her article that she's written and how she's used that action of taking her out and getting a little bit more information and putting it back into the article um, to to you know make this story more juicy, make that love plot. Like what are you talking? About? Yeah, she's, 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 a, she's like a teetering good on that though. Yeah, she's a
1: good person who's an addict. She's not her, a good person. Yeah. Yes, yes, she is because yeah. she tries to get out. She treats. She treats both the end inter- of person she interviews and uh, her his female companion. She treats both of them with respect. She treats Bruce with respect when everybody else is talking over him and making fun of him. Eventually, as she's drawn back into her drug back into yeah, and the, the, most the frustrating newspaper part of the she movie. starts being crueler to Bruce mm-hmm. being crueler to the people around her and having that social manipulation but this is the downfall of a good character like Hilde is definitely starts the film as a good person has gotten herself clean is ready to leave and then is drawn back in by Walter this con man into her addiction
3: and she constantly frames it as like a horrible seedy terrible lifestyle like she she clearly yeah, she knows looks knows down her, on the
1: work but likes back it. In. Yeah,
3: mm-hmm.
1: exactly that's a good call out right yeah
3: and i the other moment that like that sort of like it, it points out that you know this this wit this this snappy fast 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 funny talk is a shield is in the in pretty early in the movie when they're arguing in his office. And there's an actual moment of anger and emotion, um, instead of the, the passive-aggressive, constant, um, snappy one-liners back and forth, back and forth. Um, when, she, when 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 uh, he's putting her hands on her, she doesn't want him to touch her, and it becomes it becomes serious before going straight back to the funny. Um, I feel I feel like it does, it helps to reinforce that it is a shield and it is these reporters being pretentious and being you know up their own asses. Uh, when it's act when the job they're doing is really hard to do and also just kind of dishonest work
1: It yeah and and it's a testament i think to the film that despite uh having such cruel characters they are exceedingly likable and charming yeah i mean yeah, walter it, despite being a terrible human being worst he, person. You, you absolutely love him his whole spiel when he's meeting bruce for the first time and he like tries to play it up with the old man first the uh the um the physical slapstick uh of the the scene in the diner with the three of them eating lunch together where he like worms his way in between the this uh, soon to be married couple and like like, take you out for lunch (laughs) yeah he's he's clearly the bad guy but he's just so slick and charming that Mm -hmm. you, you by the end of the film you still really haven't realized it
3: it's like, it's like they cast Robin Williams in Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Is it like casting somebody who, who's too, who's too likable to be a terrible person on film? Sure.
0: But I, I don't know. Like I, y- you reach a certain point, like when he's, and you know, I, I maybe this is a, a good representation. Like the point where I like, yes, you kind of get lured in a little bit, Um when he's dealing with a mom after the mom accuses him of kidnapping her, and then he does the outrageous like, "Who me?" and it's like, like that's the point where it's like, like, and I hope close I, for like
2: an old weasel. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's like, oh yeah, that's that's when you know this charm, this charm is like gone. Like you, you, it, his charm. Yeah, it's
2: superficial, or like he was kind of you know passively nice to Bruce at first, and then he like shows up towards the end. He's like, "What the deuce are you doing here?"
0: Yes. It's it's like his charm is slowly being eroded too, and then at the end when it's just you, there's no charm in it. It's just that weird, outrageous, like, yeah. like it <laughs> is. Good. It is comedic how ridiculous all the stuff he's been doing up to that point. Because now that you know you're in a serious situation where he tried to have a woman kidnapped to get her out of the way, um, and then he he has to yeah, clearly with affiliated
2: with him. the mob too.
0: Yeah, I and, <laughs> yeah that was part of the maybe a not so great stereotype is that like yeah
2: yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah. but um no that that point when he does that it's like oh yeah this is the point where like all the veneer is gone all the shine is gone this dude's just a a a-hole who's kind of like when you lose that veneer all the stuff he does is creepy um and so yeah that that reaction is just like god this is just a man child trying to divert blame after doing a pretty serious crime or creating a serious crime so yeah and
3: like he gets out scott is like (laughs) very red pilly you know it's very very manipulative and uh pretty pretty trademark abusive relationship stuff like nagging and gaslighting oh no yeah (laughs) yeah
0: i mean that's that (laughs) that we're
2: getting married
1: this is the game, of the movie. Yeah. yeah. From a purely technical criticism standpoint, it had some horrendous cuts. <laughs> one, yes. one cut I mean, particularly yeah. at an hour and 18 minutes in. I, I added some timestamps where she supposedly drops the gun. Um, was it it felt mm-hmm. like a, a student film because the the mm-hmm. cut was so jarring between the two different takes of nothing in her hand and then the clunk of the gun on the floor and like everybody changes positions like a full foot and a half um and i i thought the cuts at the start were you know harsh but then that one was just blatant unprofessional i
2: mean yeah we summed it up when we first started talking about this this is a play like it works more as a play and the movie presents it as a play you know this is still pretty early in in cinema in general so there's not you know cuts or a lot of it was like a nice panning shot across the office at the beginning wasn't really expecting something like that for a movie like this but besides that it's just you know just simple compositions three to two characters in each shot and that's what you got and you know to make up for lack of special effects that's where the snappy dialogue is that is the special effects you know
0: well and the these outfit as the beginning at the beginning yeah like, i love their I mean, outfits at the beginning badass. yeah like that i it was it was clearly a way to um you know show that she's this incredibly well-dressed very um interesting character in a black and white medium it's like yeah it was probably just a black and white mm-hmm. dress but it looked so cool that was just one thing i noted i'm like god that's a that's yeah,
1: fashion was a lot of fun costume. in this Hilby's character how- dominated every room that she was in. Everyone, Every room she walked into, people acknowledged her, people respected her, and she, credit to the actress, she played it as the biggest person in every room that she was in. I mean, standing up next to Cary Grant and trying to just, yeah. um, you know, not only is he physically imposing, uh, it, but he's his delivery and charisma always historically made him the center of the room, but freaking um oh my god uh rosalind russell i mean she she met him at every step of that film um I, I i was really really impressed
0: well and she yeah i feel like they make they usually try and make the women in these types of films shorter and smaller but she was eye to eye if not maybe a little bit taller like with the hat at the beginning like she had height on yeah, height that's a point and she was like, and maybe it maybe it is like symbolic of oh she's she's above him because she's getting out of this business, and then mm-hmm. she kind of starts to weasel in a little bit and get smaller and smaller as the movie progresses because- as she like rep- regresses, so you know there that's that's the fun part about plays and stuff is that they think about they think about that you know physicality a little bit more than um I feel like a lot of movies um get more in the weeds of you know showing facial emotion and that sort of stuff whereas these plays can these plays work around or play with physicality more just like full body physicality more
1: yeah i'd love i'd love to explore in context of another older film that we have on our list think of ten commandments this movie his girl friday came out 16 years before the ten commandments and yet, to me, this feels like the much more modern film, um, both in in style, pacing, presentation. Um, mm. I, I think, frankly, it holds up a whole lot better.
2: Mm. I don't know about pacing. Like, that was one note I had for, like, both of these movies. Like, I, Like, I guess they're paced well, but they're both exhaustive to a point. Like, even, like, maybe... You know, with a half an hour left, you're like, "Oh, this movie is, you know, still going." I kind of felt that with both Conair and his girl Friday. So it's not necessarily that it's paced well; it's just that what you're given—I don't know—for like maybe a modern audience, you can only take so much. So.
0: <laughs> well, and I know we also have um, the Wizard of Oz coming up in the latter half of our bracket too, and um... oh,
2: and uh, Twelve Angry
0: Men it will probably be the most
2: comparable to that's
0: yeah that would be a really good comparable for that um just because yeah it is a little bit smaller you know one one yeah it's in one room Mm -hmm. yeah i think 12 angry men was also a play so that it will be interesting to talk about that in with having seen this movie now
1: assuming it makes it through the bracket who knows Mm -hmm. might might, might do it
0: well i mean I, we can still reference it because we've talked about it.
2: We'll <laughs> never talk that's, about it. You that's, know, in the the of,
0: are... that's in the discussion of 12 Angry men not talking about this. But that would be interesting for those two to go up against each other.
1: O'Regan, oh, had you seen this film before previously? Because I know yeah, this was one of the found this here. movie. I, I'd love to hear your take on it since you had such a deep and insightful read on Con Air.
3: Right. So I'm less authoritative on His Girl Friday <laughs> than I am on Con Air. Um, but I, it, is, it is probably my favorite screwball comedy because I've seen quite a few. Um, and for me, I mean, frankly, it's just um, Rosalind Russell's performance just blows me out of the water the whole every scene she's in she's just so good she does such a fantastic job with every line she's given the facial expressions match the fast-paced talking and that I I know that it comes it it, there is definitely a pretension to to the entire style of writing and and performance because you know it's a little bit you know uh, self-satisfied but she does it well like Mm -hmm. I, I don't I don't think I could ever talk that fast and match my with facial expressions to changing lines constantly and, and and hit every mark perfectly in a single take. Yeah, that is really uh, like it's it's impressive, uh, and I, I'm just in love. I I've, I've always really liked that of style of cadence and, the, and that that um the kind of um
0: you know yeah
3: I, lingo I, I, I... uh I don't know it's just, it's just, it's just really it's really fun um and. I guess for me, the whole the whole aesthetic of the movie is just so good, and the fact that they don't try and do more than they're capable of in terms of practical effects and stuff is is good because yeah, it, mm-hmm. it, it makes it feel more modern. Because when they try and do something too big, you know, in, in movies that old, um, that's when it starts to feel dated. That's when it starts to feel like oh, this is taking me out of immersion. When they keep it in a in a few in a few sets or a few rooms, it feels better. And when the dialogue's written well and keeps you drawn in and keeps you engaged. Right? it uh it helps you ignore all the other flaws in the movie, even if they're flaws in writing. Like there's a few unanswered questions at the end of that movie about what happened to people. But because the dialogue is written so snappily, it, it just keeps you fixed on it. And you and at the end of the movie you aren't think you aren't asking as many questions as maybe you, you would otherwise because we don't know exactly what happened to the woman who jumped out the window. We don't know for certain what's going to happen to the check in her hat. In her hat, which, by the way, I, I love as a symbol of her her you know redemption being slowly crushed down as the hat slowly loses its shape more and more through the film, and she becomes more and more um, really? you know <laughs> down in the dirt with the other reporters.
1: I had not noticed that. Yeah, That's no, awesome. she, it's the same. It's the same outfit. She never she never
3: changed her outfit. This is one day. It's that she slowly <laughs> becomes disheveled, day, and her hat is abused and f- forced into more of a reporter hat shape. Hmm. No from she being you know, a proper middle class woman in the beginning.
0: She changes her outfit. Like after lunch. Yeah, after lunch she says, okay, you go get the tickets and or I'll go get the tickets and I'm gonna change when she decides to go. Like Oh, does she say that? Yes. Oh, oh yeah, darn. She, oh I, I thought that was a really neat thing. i missed so that she line. Goes, she goes from that oh. that that striped thing to just a black cover, I think it's almost a black vest or it's a black like short sleeve thing. Like there is a distinct where she's like, I'm I'm changing into my reporter's outfit but, almost. Gotcha. I, I don't think okay. her
1: changing discredits the visual metaphor no. you identified No, absolutely it, not. It, it's still yeah. It's it less even then, Yeah, it, it becomes a, a conscious decision on her part rather than being, you know, yeah. ground down by the environment.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, I I didn't want to discredit what you said. I just I there, there is an active choice on the part of this character to almost like, I need to put on my my work clothes and get this done because it needs to it's like putting on your work clothes to go work in the yard. It's like, I need to, I need to get this done. I'm not going to sully myself or my new identity with the old identity. So I need to get some clothes that I'm okay with ruining. And that's why the clothes she changes into are very not modest, but very basic, not fashionable, not interesting. It's just the old pair of jeans that you'll wear to work in the yard because you're not worried about them getting ruined.
3: No, um, uh, it was, yeah, because it was just something like I noticed in the last half hour that her hat was slowly getting more and more yes. crushed. Yep. And then I didn't go back and check through the same out from the beginning, but I remembered how sharp she looked at first. Yes. But yeah, like, uh, she, because, you know, you know how, like, they were with hats in the 40s. Oh, yeah. But no, she just... The, as the stress builds, she's grabbing and crunching the hat more and more, and it's looking worse and worse when oh, she it, wears it.
0: Isn't that his hat, or am I blanking?
3: Oh because... no, she she has her own hat. She has her own hat. But yeah, I, she puts I... the check in her hat when she takes it from him. Oh, she does. Yeah. Oh. And then whenever, think... when, and then she's like throwing the, the the hat around, and the check is still in there, and okay. like it's really, is the hat is getting really crumpled?
0: See, I I didn't remember that. I thought because I know when they're in the taxi, I know she she. Oh, she does stick it in her purse. That's right. Um, yeah, because she takes his four hundred dollars to get her four hundred and fifty dollars to get the um, get the tickets, and then when they're in the cab, when they meet up in between that, yeah, that's right. But um, I guess my question is, would you rather see this as a movie or as a play?
3: Mm. Yeah, I, that is a very I good point.
0: Having seen this movie, I think it would be a lot harder to do as a play and a lot cooler to see this done really well as a play. Um, and, you know, that is that is kind of the the tragedy slash difficulty of, of Broadway and just the, the theater realm in general is that it is cost prohibitive. It is, it is very exclusive because you have to be in this one spot or you have to make a market effort to get to these places. So obviously I'm never going to harp on the fact that a a play being converted into a movie so it can have a wider audience is great. Um, I think when you do that, you need to add something, and maybe it is adding the female character that, you know, does give you a little bit more pop, but adding things to it to to make it better for the audience that's already been able to see this. But I would... I would much rather see this as a play done in front of me than, um, and I think all the issues that I brought up about like the, the dead panning on the phones and stuff like that is something that should, that is you accept more when you're watching somebody live do this than when you, you know, that it do, they do have time in this medium to maybe give those phone calls a little bit more, a little bit more depth,
1: or at least give a little bit yeah. more emotion to it. So I as soon as you start adding that delay then the you you have to the snappiness of the dialogue is going to drop the so the second you start putting in artificial pauses to make the the phone calls more realistic you will lose the momentum and the the rhythm and and cadence that you've developed through the whole scene um because you'll notice you know the the pace of the dialogue even picks up as the scenes progress. It never starts out 100 miles a minute. They have to build up to mm-hmm. that. And if you start putting in artificial pauses, then you've got to do that ramp up all over again. And instead of being a a continuous crescendo, it starts being like a, a sort of a, a peaks and valleys sort of thing where you have to, you know, you build up some pace, but then you got to slow down. Now you got to build back up to it. And you never hit that same top speed that made the dialogue in this show is so breathtaking.
3: Yeah, because the front page had been made as a movie earlier in the 30s. And like the, the reason they talk so fast, they're trying to top their record for fastest speaking <laughs> movie ever made. <laughs> it was a very explicit decision on the filmmaker's part to um to beat the other production of uh, of the front page. <laughs>
0: Okay, I'm gonna so, have to watch that movie too if I can find it. Yeah.
3: I, I honestly I I would recommend that double billing, um, just because it sounds really interesting. I might try and do it myself soon. Uh and the play did go
0: through a revival
3: um on Broadway in the in the um 19, in 1969, 1970.
0: That sounds about um, right.
3: Yeah, and then Oh, it did do it, it uh, actually had a limited uh showing in twenty sixteen in September. Ooh. September September twenty sixteen on Broadway.
1: Oh, that could have been cool. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Um,
0: at least it's showing, because I, I feel like a lot of this era got another big boom in, like, the late 60s, early 70s, mm-hmm. slash maybe mid-70s, mm-hmm. yeah. and then it does fall off. Like, that's the kind of sad part about the theater is a lot of these plays from that era don't get performed all that much, or there's there are, like, tentpole ones that do, but, you know. Like Kenneth Williams and, stuff gets, gets yeah, attention, Glassman, but
1: Barry does. Yes. Yeah. Bullshit
0: oh i wouldn't call it bullshit
1: but mm-hmm. um, fuck the glass menagerie a, i don't know ap english ruined that one for me yeah i
3: i, I feel cannot... like glass menagerie is not meant to be read by a of poor teenagers it's meant to be performed before an audience that, that's it's <laughs> <terrible>. what <laughs> no.
0: i think the glass menagerie should be read by everybody at, and mm-hmm. beaten to death by english teachers um but yeah i don't I don't know. I think this is a really interesting discussion on that. And I'm glad that everybody, everybody, because I, I don't want to say I didn't like it. I I did like it. I enjoyed it thoroughly, but I, for me, I felt like I saw some of the, the, I guess, stripping off of the veneer just of that type of movie because I've just, I've been inundated with that in a way. Um
1: Ryan, I'm glad you brought these. These are two films, yeah. Um, yeah. both both of which were uh, <laughs> very fun to watch and that I never would have seen otherwise. So, yeah, I'm uncom-
0: uncomfortably too prestige-y, Um, in, in different <laughs> ways, because I, I will I will say Con Air is a prestige film in to a certain demographic and for very specific reasons, and then an actual prestige film or a, a very interesting one at that uh, compared to what we've watched. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's
3: like I mean, I because I, I, I looked at your whole list of movies that you already had in the bracket, and, I and these are the two games. genres that I felt were underrepresented. You know, the screwball comedy, and then the possibly <laughs> ironic, possibly just totally serious, um, over the top action movies. And I feel yeah. like they're in my in my opinion, they're they're just the best examples of those two genres, um, yeah. that I can think of. Like I, they, each one there's, there's competitors for each one. Like you could say. You could say that, like, um, you know, *Arsenic and Old Lace* is maybe a better screwball comedy, for example. Um, and I, I, I was tempted to, to bring that one to the table, but it's it's I got more of a mixed critical perception, so I want to make sure that everybody enjoyed.
1: I think *White them. Christmas* is also a, a reasonable contender for screwball oh, comedy. Yeah. That that features uh, not only impressive dialogue but fantastic dancing and singing. It's one of yeah, my favorite movies yeah. of all time. Um, though I, I frankly, uh, it, it has too many. Uh, uncomfortable, uh, racially challenging moments for me to volunteer it as a, a best of all time film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if folks are uh, uh, go in understanding, you know, this is a, a product of its time, are prepared to have those challenging conversations about race that this movie um, definitely brings up, um, but are looking for similar, snappy dialogue quick one-liners back and forth um impressive physicality white christmas is is uh, uh worth the watch well
0: because grant that was on your list to begin with and because of these issues that you're bringing up like that's why you ended up taking it off for the most part right grant yeah I, you and i, you I stand by that decision what did you replace it with do you remember
1: real steel actually
0: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah that was that was the, uh, the, the last minute substitution there um, was taking out White Christmas and putting that in. Um, uh, just because, like I said, I, I think it has enough faults that I can't um, comfortably volunteer it as a best of all time film. Um, but yeah, if you're uh, prepared to have the, the necessary conversations and, and go in with the appropriate mindset, I still think White Christmas is a, a worthwhile film to watch
0: excellent well season for it yeah it is the season for it um with that i guess uh should we open up voting
1: oh sure (gasps) we have four people i wonder how this one's gonna go today
0: yeah um so i guess we'll start with you ryan because these two movies are two that you brought to the table I I I have a feeling I know which, which
2: one Starling I are you no, killing.
1: Yeah. hand. We should save. We should save Oregan for last, then. Yeah. And let that that way he's sort of the, or at least uh like, well, no, because if it's there's tough. a deciding, I don't know. I don't, Wait, I don't know what?
0: what to do if we tie. Like that's I, the thing I haven't been able to work out. Right. Interesting. Me,
1: leave well, me to the end, all right? Tie, um, tie goes to the. I guest. need okay, to, I need to really think about
0: this. Anyway. Oh,
1: boy. Wally, hey. let's start with
0: you today. Okay,
2: so. Yeah, this was a very fun, weird double billing for me. But I think there was enough similarities between these movies like I talked about uh, with pacing, just how exhaustive I felt (laughs) after both of these movies. Um, But when it comes to picking, I usually go with what I was entertained by more. And these were both very entertaining for different reasons. but when it comes down to it, I do feel we have another could be ironic, could be serious, over the top action movie in RoboCop coming up. Um, <laughs> so I'll have to go uh, with his girlfriend.
1: Nice,
0: Graham, you're up next.
1: Ooh, see, I, I, Quinn, knowing I, I think maybe we should start with with you next. Yeah, knowing what, the way I think I.
0: So, um. <sighs> I I think at the end of the day, I I'm going to go with my pick based on how many notes I took, because I think it proved that I was more engaged with the subject matter. And like I said, his girl Friday only had one page, and I feel like it wasn't as interesting notes as um as I could have had. So uh, with that, I'm going with Conair because it's just. It's oh well, I love absurd stuff and there is nothing more absurd than something that was probably meant to be genuine but has has soured or gotten weirder over time in a way that like a fine wine maybe it wasn't supposed to taste like this but it does taste like this and <laughs> I love how it tastes so um yeah I Conair just another note that I didn't throw in at the end the first time I saw that I was sick as a dog. Home from school, and it was on like TNT, and I watched Con Air, and <laughs> I think it's a perfect like fever dream of a movie that it's it's a good sick watch because half the time you don't understand it anyway. So I will go with Con Air.
1: Um, for me, I think both of these movies uh, live and die by their one-liners, and I think mm. His Girl Friday managed to take a series of one-liners and turn it into legitimate dialogue uh where Conair took one liners and had fucking nicholas Cage deliver them as deadpan as he possibly could mm-hmm. um and i i think uh for that reason especially uh i i have to go to his girl friday
0: oh god <laughs> <laughs> all right so okay one. To you. okay
3: um well, look, I, I've been thinking, since, since I was so graciously invited to come onto this show with you guys, I've been thinking about what the best movie of all time means to me. And fundamentally, to me, it, it, means, it means a movie that can be enjoyed consistently, a movie that can be thought about, a movie that can be talked about, and explored. Some, uh, it's a piece of media you can get the most out of. Um, and walk away really satisfied because there's so much there Uh, whether it is like emotional closure or whether it is laughter or just you know any emotion whatsoever uh, or intellectual stimulation whatever it is if there's if there's a lot of it in the movie and you walk away satisfied with it i think that makes it a good movie if everyone does that best is going to make it the best movie ever and i think or of all time just to keep keep within the dialectic
1: Thanks. Um, keep brand. <laughs> <laughs> um
3: and so i think that fundamentally while his girl friday is a movie that i'm maybe more impressed by because it is so well made for what it's doing i don't think his girl friday is the best movie of all time i think that i think that the glory that is Con Air is the best movie of all time because there's so much there it's, it's the gift that keeps on giving and the fact that despite aging so poorly in so many ways it's still this good <laughs> <laughs> it really speaks to that fact
0: you couldn't have Con Air as a clay but you can have imagine that though
1: yeah, imagine that.
0: <laughs> this is the best of all time movie podcast. At at its heart, my argument is that His Girl Friday is better as a stage play. And that's why it does feel like a very, very much a stage play in the movie. So that's another reason why I can't argue that for being the best movie of all time, because I think it could be a really a better play than it is a movie. So, yeah those are my two cents but of course what have we done we have wrote ourselves into a corner all right do we do we toss a coin
1: well i think it would be absolutely absurd for us to invite a guest on (laughs) have a tie and then not let the guest be the tiebreaker that way because you're you're ostensibly you're the expert on these two films you know amongst the group being the, the the individual that contributed them um and frankly you know with a a tie to the judges i'm inclined to uh tip support towards the individual who has the most research and understanding behind both films so um my inclination would be but whether despite me not agreeing with it Conair winning the day
0: but grant no i d- i will argue against that we want we want this to be the decision of the person who is most research of these movies and that sort of stuff because this is the best of all time definitively it isn't just (laughs) our best of all time we we've never said that this is just the best of our time this is the best of all time Mm -hmm. and you want to be able to come in as a layman and say that this is the best movie of all time
3: i i have an idea Okay. And this is this is your this is your rodeo, and I don't want to impose my thoughts onto it. So you know whatever I, I'm not I'm taking myself out of this decision making progress. This is between the three of you how you want to handle this situation. Oh, but I an idea that might be interesting is for you to maybe send out a poll to your listeners, let the audience make the choice.
2: Now
1: that there's been a tie, get some some individual engagement. Make them watch this oh, <laughs> Yeah. Just a
2: thought.
1: I love that idea, they except for the fact that we have three customers. listeners, and it's we the three, three of li- us.
0: No, <laughs> we have we have Ryan, we have uh your your sister-in-law. She she informed me that she does yeah, listen. She does. My brother listens. We have at least three audience members outside. Yeah, of room. one, the one of my sisters buttons. listens. Okay, so <laughs> four people. So we, potentially, you might have the same issue with another tie.
1: Um. That would be beautiful. In that case, we would just have to advance both films. If, yeah, was a tie yes. a user poll, There's no question. <laughs> to go hand
2: in one. hand, yeah.
1: Yeah. Something else would have to Best all time, double feature. Con Aaron, it's cool. Yeah. Oh, Regan, that is an excellent suggestion. I yes. love that idea. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, you can, you, can
3: IP, a... you can ip lock it so that only one person vote it can vote from their ip address and stuff just you know, oh if, no if if somebody
1: to... cares enough to really ramp up the votes <laughs> on one of these movies i'm well, not gonna it,
0: it would be i i wish our twitter presence was more active because i feel like you could draw people in like throw in some random tags and just have people who don't listen to the podcast give their opinion on it and you know start a a war between the con airheads and the uh and the his girls Friday.
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah, drop twenty bucks on Twitter ads. Um, it'll come up as a tweet in people's feeds. They'll just feel com- and if it hits fans, they'll feel compelled to, to <laughs> click it.
0: Well, and I wish Instagram maybe maybe it'll just be a like throw it in the comments sort of mm-hmm. thing, and we'll tally up mm-hmm. your comments on Instagram. I wish Instagram had a poll feature.
3: Yeah, uh, you can I, you can send a link out in is. the description of the podcast and on Instagram.
0: This
1: is a good one to bring people poll. in on too, because I think this was far and away our best episode we've had so far good critical discussion absolute absurdist topics uh i've loved is, it
0: what does that say about our opinions on movies is that we just like them we don't have critical discussions. <laughs> it's like maybe we're in the wrong business
1: nah it's okay like i said the point of this podcast is for all of us to hang out it's mm-hmm. not actually to talk about movies
0: that's very true but um, no, I, I, I think we've come to the end. we've We've settled on a way of solving this problem, and hopefully actually our our fans get involved on our uh, on our pages of random social medias. So uh, yeah. as always, yeah. please please follow us on Instagram at boat underscore pod and on Facebook as best of all time podcast. This is your um,
1: chance to actually influence the podcast, so uh, make sure you let your voices be heard.
0: Yes, watch these movies or don't, and vote. Um, <laughs> Ryan, is there is there anything uh, you want to just say to the uh, general populace that listens? Now that we we've, we've given you a platform,
3: well, I there's a lot of things I'd like to say, um, <laughs> particularly about politics Beautiful. and Beautiful. society. But I, actually, what I'm gonna say is uh, if you if you really like um History of Friday and particularly um Rosalind Russell's uh, performance therein. I'd highly recommend that you see Hodsucker by Proxy. Uh, it's a 1994 uh, comedy film uh, with, uh, that is very clearly referential to her performance, and it's a lot of fun. And,
0: right? uh, yeah. what, what is the name of it? Hod Sucker, Hod the
3: sucker by Proxy. So H-U-D, Sucker by Proxy.
0: Okay. I will, I will also put that in our uh, Instagram and Facebook. Cool. Uh, anything else for the good of the order? Wally,
2: time to cast off.
0: Okay, what do we say at the end of each podcast? Is
2: Cup the balls and up? swallow the
0: gravy. We're boat. We're boat. Cup the balls, swallow the gravy. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> yeah.